Welcome to the Be Disciples podcast with your hosts, Kyle Morris and Dakota Smith. We are continuing studying the book of Acts. Uh, We're going to be finishing chapter 7 today and going a little bit into 8, but we're so glad that you're listening in today. Dakota, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm I'm ready to dive into today's text because, you know, the last couple weeks we've been speaking about Stephen and just... First of all, the sermon that he gave last week that we analyzed at our last episode, and and now what's going to come of that? So honestly, it's just good to be back at work on a Monday morning. It's good to be diving into the scriptures. We had a great day at church yesterday. Um, a lot of people are coming. We're preaching the word of God. You know, isn't Matthew exciting? And you're preaching yeah. this coming Sunday, so that's exciting yeah. as well. Yeah, uh, Matthew is exciting. Man, um, I've spent a lot of time. I spent the whole last year preaching John in the youth. Um, I've done Luke. Many times, uh, Mark, we did on the podcast. We have a whole season of Mark if you want to go back and listen to Mark. So now we're doing Matthew, which I've done Sermon on the Mount sermons. Sure. I've done other things in Matthew, but not like going All the through, way through the whole book. So it'll be a fun uh, challenge. But also, I think just building up to Matthew, you start to see the the encouragement of the book. I mean, oh, the absolutely. gospel, the power that starts to come out of just talking about the book as you lead into, as we're going to get into the first chapter this week is is a lot of fun. It's super exciting to see how Matthew writes his gospel, uh, specifically his audience is the Jews, but it also just shows us how God works through his people in all kinds of different ways. Uh, and that's very encouraging, which we're going to see today in Acts chapter 7 in Stephen. How is God using Stephen's life and death to advance the gospel? That's it. And that's the most important thing to God. God is always on the move, and God is wanting to advance his plan. God doesn't sit still. God is someone who really cares about his own glory more than anything else. So he He will do what is necessary, and he will use whatever um he, um, uh, well, I guess it would be right to say he will use regardless of what man does, right? Yep. Regardless of what man decides to do, God will always choose to use it for his plan. So, you know, we're going to be diving into this passage today uh, in, in the book of Acts chapter 7. But back to the book of Matthew, just a quick word. If you're looking at Ottawa Bible Church, you can go to ottawabiblechurch.com and you can look up our sermons in this new series in Matthew. You can also type in Ottawa Bible Church on YouTube and you can look at all of our sermons and our playlists there. But the most important thing is that the Word of God needs to be multiplied and expanded in our community. And that's our motivation and what we're trying to do so that we can make disciples. Yeah. Uh, so let's let's pray, yep. and then we'll get into the text. Father, thank you for this opportunity to uh, to spread your word through a podcast, um, to be able to get it out for people to uh, listen around the world. Uh, yes, God. even as we are, we are prepping to study Matthew, the recognition of history and what happens leading into Matthew, the ability for roads to be built, for for the word to be spread as Jesus was preparing to come, just at that perfect moment for the gospel to be spread. That uh, this podcast is a tool to spread around the world. Uh, let us just continue to be faithful to preaching your word on as many platforms as possible, because we just want everyone to hear the gospel. We want you to be glorified in all that we do. I pray for the listeners that they are learning, they're growing, and that they are being discipled and that they are making disciples. Um, And so just be with us as we learn more and we grow and we mature in our faith. In Jesus' name, amen. 
Amen. So today's passage is Acts chapter 7, verse 54, all the way to chapter 8, verse 3. But I think it's important to start with some pretext, actually, in chapter 7, verse 51. Just, you know, how did Stephen's sermon conclude? How did he conclude his sermon in speaking to the leaders of Israel? And we'll just, we'll read from there all the way into today's passage. So, verse 51, you men who are stiff-necked and uncircumcised in, in heart and Ears are always resisting the Holy Spirit. You are doing just as your fathers did. Which one of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? They killed those who had previously announced the coming of the righteous one, whose betrayers and murderers you have now become. You who received the law as ordained by angels and yet did not keep it. So we addressed that passage last week. He's calling out the Jewish leaders for their rejection of those who prophesied about Christ. Now they are the ones who have murdered Christ as well. But verse 54, today's passage starts with this. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse. When they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid aside their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as he called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. Chapter 8, verse 1, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. And on that day, a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. But Saul began ravaging the church, entering house after house, and dragging off men and women. He would put them in prison. So there's today's passage. Man, there's a lot going on here, a lot of intensity. Where do we start? Well, I think we should look at the hearts of the of the religious leaders, the, those just in opposition to Stephen and the gospel. Um, the, what their hearts are doing is what's driving their actions. So clearly, it is mentioned here in verse 51 um, that you have, um, you're stiff-necked people uncircumcised in heart and ears. You resist the Holy Spirit. There's a resistance of what God wants to do in them and through them, um, which they're now their desires to hold up their self-righteousness has now is driving their actions towards Stephen. Um, they're, this, the gospel— <laughs> is what is going to eliminate their power mm-hmm. uh, or any power over people in any religious way. And so we have to remember Rome is in control of the land and the people. So you think about the religious leaders at the time, how much power do they have? Well, they have some, and they're they're holding on to it as tight as they can, um, and they're unwilling to budge from their hardened hearts towards God, um, which leads them into their response to Stephen. That's it. Um, now and, when they heard this. Yeah, now when they heard this, they were enraged. Yeah. Um, Yours says enraged. Mine says enraged. Mine and says cut to the quick. Cut to the quick, yeah. Almost yeah. like it was so fast. 
know what yeah. I mean? Like it was, they were enraged quickly. Like it wasn't just like a gradual being enraged. I think it was a very fast, like immediate, almost with no thought. Yeah. How dare you speak against God? Yeah. Boom. What? Yeah. Stephen's like, I'm not speaking. Like maybe against their God. mind or their emotions. <laughs> boom. Just it was cut. Yeah. Now it's going this way. You know, something's divided in them. I'm not sure what that you, phrase. You know, when you like, but you get it. When you already have your mind made up. Yeah. And so you already know your response, regardless of what somebody says. Right. It's almost like that. Like, I've already become enraged right. in my mind. I'm just waiting for that. I'm just waiting for the, it. yeah, I'm waiting for the silence <laughs> so I can then do it. Yeah. yeah. And so, and it says, and they ground or the gnashing of their teeth. Yeah. I mean, I think automatically when I hear gnashing of think, I think of hell. Yes. I mean, I think of oh, people who the... are, who are deprived of, of eternally from separated from God. I mean, I don't like that's that the the phrase that's what it attaches at least scripturally. I would. I don't I was, know if it's the same, but I just it comes across. Yeah, no. And I was just reading last night in Matthew chapter thirteen about those who are separated at the end of the age, believer from non-believer. The non-believer is going to grind his teeth, right, mm-hmm. in in utter darkness with weeping and gnashing of teeth. So. Yeah, that is quite interesting. It's almost like they're displaying the very characteristics of the place they're headed to. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> yeah, it is. I think, I mean, I'd try to picture this, a person in front of me being this enraged yeah. and grinding their teeth together, yeah. like so angry that spit's coming out of their mouth and they're yeah. grinding their teeth. And it's they're, sad, actually. They're, they're in this place of like almost being like black, like they black out. Right. Like they're so angry right. that... They don't care what happens next. Yeah, I mean, there's there's full anger that leads to sin here. Yep. And they says, but he, Stephen, yes, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Mm-hmm. Now, how do we know this? Well, it's because he said it. <laughs> uh, Luke is able to actually know this because he says, "Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God." Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, something that's really interesting to me here is you see an entire picture of the Trinity. Verse 55, he is full of the Holy Spirit, right? He gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus, the Son of God, standing at the right hand of God. So you're seeing a Trinitarian perspective just even within this scene. Yeah, Holy Spirit's with him. God is there. Jesus is at the right hand, standing. I think there's a significance. We talked about the standing of Jesus here. Yeah. Um, we well, usually see him sitting at the right hand or a lot of times in Scripture, but here he's standing at the right hand. So that I think there's a significance in what Jesus is doing in this moment. Sitting communicates the sense of reigning. Standing communicates a sense of intervening or ministering. So the parallel passage to this is in Revelation chapter 2, verse 1, where it says that Jesus is the one who walks among the lampstands. So Revelation 2 tells us that Jesus walks. Acts chapter 7 tells us that Jesus stands. And I should know the reference, but other references in, in Scripture says that, uh, I think it's in Hebrews, he has sat down at the right hand of the Father, right? Hebrews chapter 1. So Based on what Jesus is doing around that throne or or his bodily actions, it, it's actually a picture of how he's ministering. Is he reigning? Is he intervening? Is he holding accountable, walking among the lampstands? Whatever that might be. But nevertheless, you see Jesus here ready to minister even to his own martyrs. Yeah, it's almost like 
um, you know, if somebody's got your back, you know, all my friends, he's got my back yeah. no matter what. Well, like Jesus here is like, Stephen, you're about to die for me. I got your back. Yeah, absolutely. Like I, I'm me... ministering to you, Stephen. Stephen looks up and sees this and is ministered by Jesus in this. Mo- I mean, Jesus is telling, I am with you, Stephen. Yeah. Like what a comforting moment for Stephen to know, like I'm about to die. <laughs> These people are clearly enraged to the point of, I don't know, as angry as you could possibly get. And and you see the ministering of Jesus to Stephen here. There's such a comfort in in this moment. I think when we think about how could, you know, we ask questions all the time. How could God um, allow this to happen? Stephen was faithful. Stephen did all the things that he was supposed to do here. Every every word about Stephen is positive in Scripture. Like, yeah. We don't know anything bad about Stephen necessarily. We know he's a sinner because he's a person. But other than that, his actions have been faithful to God. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's now in this moment because of his faithfulness, because of his boldness, because of the gospel, he's about to experience a physical death, but with a sense of comfort. Um, I, well, I A supernatural comfort, I would say, in the sense of he knows exactly where he's going to be in a moment. And, and so for, for the, in this moment, God, I think gives us um, those comforts because we know what we're dying for. And I think uh, we should be able to trust God in those moments. If we're trusting God with our lives, we should also be able to trust him in our death. And so I think Stephen understands that he's okay with it. He knows what he's doing. He knows what his death may become, I think he has a bigger eternal picture of his life in this moment. And I think that's a reminder. I get reminded every week of having an eternal perspective on the things that I'm doing. And so I think Stephen looking into the heavens is looking into the eternal perspective of what is about to take place. And that is an amazing place to be. Well, verse 55 says he gazed intently into heaven. And then verse 56, he says, behold, Behold kind of carries the idea of, now you gaze intently as well. Behold, see what I see. Mm. I've already seen it, now I want you to see it. Behold, I see the heavens opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And I I find it interesting, this is something I'm just kind of picking up on. Verse 57, but they cried out with a loud voice. The word but just should make us think of a contrast. But they cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed at him with one impulse, meaning they they heard exactly what he said he was seeing. So his eyes are vertical, their eyes are horizontal. His eyes are on Jesus, the one who has been martyred, of which he's going to meet with him any moment from now. Their eyes are on him to do the murdering, and their eyes are on him to perform the murdering because their eyes are not on Christ. I mean, there's just by way of bodily action and and body language here in the passage, it is clearly communicating what these two parties are all about. And I think at the end of the day, like a question I had back to your point on the martyrs is, does Jesus stand for everyone who dies for him? I know the book of Acts is largely a description. It's not always a prescription. But if I had to place a bet, whenever somebody dies for Christ, I would be willing to say Jesus stands uh, for them. And I, I, I say that because if he is one who is always walking among the lampstands, according to Revelation 2, that means he often gets up off the throne. He, he often performs tasks in heaven. 
Like Jesus is still physically a human in heaven. A lot of people forget that. He has not decloaked from the incarnation. He's remained in resurrection form. So does Jesus stand when any person is martyred? I would I would bet that that the question the answer to that question is a yes. Yeah, I mean, I I think so as well. I don't see why at least um, evidence of Scripture would say that Jesus there isn't a clear sense of comfort in the believer who is truly taking you know being killed uh, for Christ. Um, you know, I think if you've gone to that length. You knew the risks. I think you've already shown where your um, allegiance lies mm-hmm. to King Jesus. Yep. Well, King Jesus, if your allegiance is to him, I think he's showing us that he stands for you. He walks amongst the churches. He's Man. an active and living God, not a God that sits outside the universe, right. peers in and goes, wow, you guys are all messed up and just like <laughs> just lets us do our thing. Yeah. Jesus is active and living. He sent us the Holy Spirit yes. to indwell within the believer, but Jesus himself is active and living. And I think this is an example of after the Holy Spirit's come, Jesus is standing there being active in this world. Yeah. There isn't there there isn't a time where Jesus doesn't know what's happening and he just turns his face away and goes, Oh, I'm just not gonna look at that. I think he is literally active in all things at all times. He's omniscient. God is sovereign. I mean, yeah. Jesus is omniscient. He knows it all. I mean, that's exciting. It is. As we're talking through this passage, I've, I've kind of noticed like, yes, the passage involves Stephen, but the passage is still about Jesus. And I think that's where we have to kind of shift our focus. The passage is actually about the intercession, the ministering that Jesus gives. By the way, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, is a deacon, which is the word minister. Jesus is ministering to the minister in the midst of his ministry. Yeah. Here in this passage, that's something that's pretty amazing to see as well. So just this theme of who Christ is post-resurrection, post-ascension, we're, we're able to derive that here from this passage, which is really exciting, actually. It is. And I think we're going to... <clears throat> We read more, and we'll see it later on, what the apostles are doing mm-hmm. during this time. And we're, we'll get there, but we read that a little bit. And I think that is another showing of what the apostles were willing to do. Mm-hmm. And we know about the—I mean, if you've read the Scripture or you know anything about the life and the death of the apostles, you know where most of their um, deaths come in, very similar to Stephen's and that of martyrdom. But um, the faith of the apostles um, is very—Stephen, I would say— is you know he's not an apostle, but I think he shares the same faith and boldness yeah. of the apostles because of what he is doing, um, and I think that's a very powerful message that you don't have to be an apostle mm-hmm. to do the work that Jesus called us to do. Yeah. You don't have to be an apostle to live out the Great Commission. Yes, he spoke to the apostles when he said that, but Stephen is living out the Great Commission in his life and death. Right. And so, and he was not an apostle. And so our job as Christians is to live that out and to die for that um, someday. We may not die in martyrdom. We may die in another way, most likely. Yeah. But I think our life and our death should reflect what we believe, and that's what Stephen's doing. Although maybe this sounds somewhat emboldened of me, or maybe it may come across as me possessing like a bravado and maybe it is because I'm I'm really 
you're never quite sure until you get to that actual moment of being ready to lose your life. But the statement I want to say is this. Honestly, hypothetically, if I stood in front of Jesus face to face and he gave me an option of how I would want to go out, right? Like a long life of persevering and faithfulness to Jesus, dying at a good old age. That sounds really awesome. But the Bible also speaks about a specific crown for martyrs. So if eternity is what eternity is, and if I had a choice, just a one-time choice, would you, would you willingly die for Christ early or a long life of faithfulness? God could bring about fruit from both, obviously. But man, if you've got a choice, what better way to, than to go out dying for Christ? Yeah. And just because you're a martyr doesn't mean you die young, by the way, but I'm just saying, why not take that opportunity not to manipulate it, but why not walk through that opportunity if the door is open for you? Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> I'd like to say the same thing. I mean, if, you know, I, I think about that often. I think about it in the sense of our current state of our society in America, like where the world is trending, yeah. uh, outlawing the preaching of certain things in Scripture, it's or even back. just outlawing the gospel altogether. Yep. As as we creep in America towards that similar place, um, where the gospel is is not being um, accepted mm-hmm. as as it used to, I think there's an opportunity or a possibility in my life that I'm going to have to choose to preach, mm-hmm. despite put, despite what the law says. That's right. We know that Scripture does tell us mm-hmm. in Acts that God's word is above any others, and that that is something I'm willing to break the law for. Because it's the authority of God over the authority of man, and I'm willing to preach God's word to break that law because the gospel has authority over all things. And so I want to make sure that in those moments, I want to prepare myself now that I'm ready to do that, that I'm ready to be in handcuffs, that I'm ready to take the punishment for the gospel, just as we see in the book of Acts is going to happen so many times all throughout Paul's letters I mean, we're that's what we see in the early church, and I just think that's where the church is going to end up being again, and probably uh, thrive in the midst of it. But sure, yeah. yeah. But I, but we want our faithfulness. Uh, we the, what drives us. One, we get to stand in front of Jesus, but there's also what comes of Stephen's death, which is what we're going to read just about now. What comes of his death? What what do we see knowing Scripture? about what we read about Saul. This young man, Saul, was named... <laughs> yeah, I never caught that before. It says he's young here. Yeah, this young man, Saul, was named in the death, and it was approved of by Saul. Mm-hmm. Who is this Saul? Yeah. And what becomes of him yeah. in the book of Acts? Saul. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, yeah, if we continue reading, it says, but they um, cried out with a loud voice, stop their ears. What verse are you in? Sorry. 57. Okay. You read it. Stop their ears or covered their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the young, at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Yeah. So you were mentioning before we were we were on the podcast about the process of stoning a little bit back then. Yeah, let me just read it. It says this, in stoning, the first official witness pushed the naked victim 
off a nine-foot scaffold. This is likely how James died, by the way. They actually, some say they pushed James off the temple. Um, so maybe there's some continuity there. But they pushed the naked victim off of a nine-foot scaffold, which assuredly would have broken a number of bones. They couldn't get up. They couldn't move. Then the second official witness dropped a large stone on his head or chest and others pelted the dying man. Then you look at verse 58. I have a footnote, sorry, in verse 58 that says, The mention of witnesses. The mention of witnesses suggests that the leaders in the nation of Israel went through the motions of a legal execution. Leviticus 24, verse 14, though probably without securing the official approval of Pilate. So I find it at least ironic that they're called witnesses in the passage. But the true witness, again, here's some more irony. The true witness is Stephen, the one who is witnessing for Christ and becoming a martyr. Martyros, the, the term witness, it, it, it's the same thing. So you've got these legal witnesses versus a biblical witness, and he's losing his life for it. Yeah, I mean, I, I can't imagine going through this process. I know, my, like I think of nine feet, I've got uh, these panels on the exterior of my house. They're nine feet tall. Um, exactly, and and being pushed off of that, right? So if you're pushed, you're not gonna land on your feet, right? You're gonna land like on your side or on your head or neck or something, right? You're just—it's not gonna be a good fall. No, it's not gonna necessarily kill you nine feet, but it isn't gonna feel good. Yeah. Then they're gonna drop a stone on your head. Yeah. Right, and that's probably not a not a little pebble. I know. Um, and just the the action of. How many people are involved in the process of the stoning? Well, we've got the pusher, we've got the thrower of the rock, and we've got then people yeah. throwing stones, uh, multiple people. So there's so, three steps. Yeah. Push you off a height, drop a massive boulder on you, pelt you with other rocks continuously until you're dead. It's really morbid. Yeah, it, and, it, and it takes And it it's takes communal. Time. It's yeah, communal, it's communal too. It takes time. It's not like, boom, I shot you, mm-hmm. or hung, done. Yeah, this is this is a a different kind of of a of a of a thing where it is communal. It takes time. Their anger has led them to this point. There's actually time to think about what they're doing, mm-hmm. but they choose not to. They yeah. cover their ears. So yeah, it's it not it's it's for one gruesome, but two, I, I think of the hearts of the people. But so is Stephen. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Stephen is thinking about the hearts of the people in this moment. Yes, because what does he ask God to do? Yeah. He says, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Stephen has the heart of Jesus. Well, and he says another statement that's just like Jesus in 59, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Mm. Jesus said, Lord, you know, into your hands I commit my spirit. And then Jesus said, don't hold the sin against them. So he's doing the same thing. Yeah. So Stephen here, um, seeing him as a man of full of faith, who loves Jesus, his heart is truly... For Jesus, I think I, I keep going back to the heart because it talks about the uncircumcised in the heart. It's it's all this internal issue of what they believe and what they're battling against. It's sin. Yeah. And Stephen recognizes that Jesus has died for sin mm-hmm. and that he actually loves the people who are stoning him. And he asks God to don't hold this against them. Mm-hmm. Allow them to know you. Yeah. Well, what do we know about who's talked about as starting in verse 1 of chapter 8? Yeah, Saul was in hearty agreement with putting him to death. 
Saul, who, spoiler alert, his name becomes Paul because he gets converted by Jesus on the road to Damascus. I would push on push against that just a little bit. Saul's name was never changed. Paul is just the Greek version of the Hebrew Saul. And as he started to minister to the Gentiles. But nevertheless, there's an obvious change because his audience changes. Well, we see the change in Scripture. Yeah. At least in the in the Greek. Yeah. Where we go from Saul to Paul. Because his the, the focus of who, who he's trying to reach changes. Right. Yeah. So, you know, that we're gonna learn about that in Acts. We're gonna get there. But I think there's a, a, a something here where we see Stephen's death as as something we go, wow, God could have used Stephen mm-hmm. for so much more. Could he have? <laughs> what does a... what does God use Stephen for? Mm-hmm. God uses Stephen to start the process of reaching Saul. Mm-hmm. Great point. Because what does Saul do? Yep. Saul eventually becomes the one who spreads the gospel to the known world. Yeah. I mean... Who completes so... the mission of the book of Acts. <laughs> right. Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. We're still in Jerusalem right now in this text. And then to the ends of the earth. Yeah. Saul will bring that to the ends of the earth through so, the Holy Spirit. If Stephen knew what what Jesus was doing, he'd be like, yeah, sure. <laughs> but he was willing to do it anyways without even knowing what would come of it. He just did it because he knew God was in control of all things and that his death is worth it. So I see the death of Stephen as a true, true turning point for the spread of the gospel. Stephen's death leads to the gospel being spread. Absolutely. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. Well, Jesus says something in John chapter 12 that's somewhat analogous to this. John 12, verse 23, Jesus said, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Like it has to die to bear fruit first. The grain does. He who loves his life loses it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it to eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. And I think this is really the same thing as what we're seeing in Acts chapter 7 and into the beginning of 8, is that Stephen is dying and he as a servant is now there with Jesus and Jesus will bring about gospel fruit because of the death. Mm -hmm. Jesus was saying that to his first disciples and Stephen was a man who came to faith after the first, so he's a second generation believer, but same thing is happening. Yeah. So the result we see as Paul or Saul approves this. Mm-hmm. It says, and there arose a great day of persecution against the church in yeah. Jerusalem. And where were they scattered to? <laughs> <laughs> they were scattered. Finally through, left Jerusalem. Uh, yeah. Finally left Jerusalem, which is, I think the point Yep, to the regions of Judea and Samaria, except <laughs> the apostles. Mm-hmm. Uh, the apostles continued to minister in the midst of the harshest persecution, regardless of what was taking place. I think there's, we see the apostles stand again. Another example of them, I think, standing firm, not being moved by the circumstances, but staying faithful to God. But we see then the spread of Christians, even if it was out of fear, they're going to go out to new regions. Yeah, 
and the hope is that they would go out and they would continue to spread the gospel. That's right. Um, so we see devout men. Barry Stephen made great lamentation uh, over him, but Saul was ravaging the church, entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. So we continue to see what Saul does as they spread, as they are trying to run away, as they're trying to hide. Saul actively seeks them out to put them into prison. So we see the state of Jerusalem at this time. The stoning of Stephen created some chaos, but I think it was chaos that produces fruit. Absolutely. Fruit that produces people to be saved by the gospel and the spread of the gospel to other regions, and the work of the apostles continues. I wonder how many people would look at a situation like this. Like, I forget the individual's name. We were reading about him about a year ago. The guy who went off to the distant islands in his kayak. Oh, yeah. You know, he got... He lost his life as a martyr on the island trying to reach people for Jesus. He just died just recently. Um, One could ask the question, man, was that the most effective way to reach those people? And, And one could say, well, that wasn't the most effective way. He shouldn't have done that. He lost his life, yada, yada, yada. Well, one could easily say here, is that the most effective way to reach those people? Like open air preaching where you know it's going to get you killed? Well, the fact is, is we don't control God. But God himself welcomes open-air preaching at the expense of one's life because it eventually does bring gospel fruit. He doesn't allow his martyrs to go to waste or the work of his martyrs to go to waste. Right. So I don't know. I'm kind of seeing that here. Like, obviously, uh, we are finishing up with the Jewish portion of the book of Acts. And we know that because in chapter 9 and 10, we're going to see Peter before Cornelius and all of that stuff. And we'll see the really the conclusion This is piquing your interest for Saul and the rest of the book, but we'll start to see Peter's ministry conclude and then Paul's pick up and close the book. So this is actually a critical transitional point. Yeah, no, it's, it certainly is. I, and I was just, as you're talking about, you know, I think today, if I went to Jerusalem and I stood in front of the dome on the rock and I started open air preaching the gospel, you might die. I'm I'm pretty sure the same thing would happen. Yeah, I'm pretty sure. Possibly, yeah. yeah. Possibly, I may be killed for preaching the gospel in the same location Stephen is preaching the gospel yeah. today. Um, and so I just, you know, and I can think of tons of other areas where if I was preaching the gospel, I would just be killed immediately, or <laughs> beheaded, or whatever. Like that's in America, we think that's so like foreign. Yeah, people in America die for less. Yeah, <laughs> and we think, you know, the gospel is something that. You know, oh, we can just freely share it. Yeah, according to the law, we can freely share it. But there's a place called Turkey that by law, sharing the gospel is mm-hmm. good to go. Mm-hmm. But guess what? 99.9% of Turkey is Muslim. Mm-hmm. So, yes, legally, you can proclaim the name of Jesus in that country. It doesn't mean there isn't consequences. Or the response. Or the yeah. response from the people if yeah. you go and preach the gospel open yeah. air like Stephen. So, Well, we have a, a country that borders the United States of America, where we have even seen in the last just year or so, pastors are put into jail because they're preaching yeah. in their own churches. Yeah. yeah, Not even open air in public, in their I own mean, buildings. locations it would take <laughs> me 24 hours to drive to. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're right there. And that's why I said earlier, I think there's probably going to be a time in, in our lifetime mm-hmm. uh, that we may end up having to be in a position where arrest or death is is on the line you got to start asking yourself that question now 
Yeah. And so, you know, looking back at, at current history of some things that have happened recently, you know, I see some men of faith, regardless of what the government was doing, mm-hmm. I would say during COVID, yeah. they were willing to preach the word. Absolutely. And I think we need to learn from that, mm-hmm. that we can't allow the the stoppage or the the halt of God's word being proclaimed, no matter the situation, um, you know, how, whatever avenue that looks like. So it's just a warning, I think, uh, a warning of a time that is to come as uh, as this world continues to push further and further into into glorifying the self and to 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 worshiping the self that we need to be careful as Christians that we don't fall into that trap and that we don't allow the pressure of the world to change uh really our our faith and so i just encourage you as you're listening to us as we kind of wrap up today um that that you would stand firm in the faith and that you would use Stephen's martyrdom as an encouragement of what Jesus can do through you. Well, if I can even just close with this last verse, you know, I find it interesting, some information that we're given about Paul towards the end of his ministry. He may have begun by martyring Stephen, or at least being the one to sign off on it. But it's interesting to me some of the final words that Paul writes to Timothy. He says this in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 8. He says, in the future, there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge will award to me on that day. And the word for crown is the word Stephanos. Hmm. And I, I just wonder sometimes how Paul felt throughout the course of his life post-conversion. Man, I murdered my brother. I murdered Stephen. But then Paul ends his ministry writing to Timothy saying, I'm looking forward to the Stephanos, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord has promised to me on that day. It's almost like that served as somewhat of a motivation for Paul. You know, this may be who I was, but this now is who God has made me and is who changing, who is changing me and using me for his ministry. And one day I'll say, Stephen in heaven, I'll say, brother, I'm so sorry. Um, praise God through his grace. He made use of, of my stupidity. So, yeah, and what, what, a, a, what a testimony. What an amazing moment for Stephen. Yes. Oh, oh it was worth it. It was worth it. <laughs> yeah, uh, it yeah. was. And he knows that God is, is faithful. Mm-hmm. And even through such a horrific death, uh, and but it allowed something, uh, the most important thing to be spread. And, and so as we, again, as we close, let's just uh, pray about, um, yes. you know, what our lives look like in relationship with Jesus and how we can continue to grow and be faithful and be ready. Mm-hmm. Be ready for either persecution, be ready for meeting Jesus, but always being prepared uh, for those moments. So let's pray. Father, I thank you for all those who are listening. Lord, that you would prepare us by the Holy Spirit. You would prepare us, you would mature us, you would sanctify us for those times. Allow us to live the little moments out, to build upon those little moments of being faithful to you so that when we are challenged, that we do not fall away from you, but we trust you. We, we lean into you rather than our own uh, abilities, uh, that you're in control and that we cannot control things. Let us have this mindset as we continue throughout our lives, as we continue to read your word. Let us learn from Stephen that though, yes, Stephen could have lived a full life of ministry, but that his death produced the spread of the gospel 
to the ends of the earth and let us be encouraged by his preaching. Thank you for this podcast, Lord, and uh, please, as all, uh, just uh, bless the listeners, uh, allow them to have open ears to hear and that they become doers of your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.